Vaiguji ka khalsa, Vaiguji ki fateh. Welcome to our year-end episode of Ask Canadian Six. As Canadians and as Six, we made it through another year, a pandemic year, a World Cup year, uh, some big reflections. And December is also a month where we remember a lot of shaheeds. So uh, not just a big time for reflecting on the year, but also for... Uh, a really big time reflecting on on Sikhi. As always, we're we're joined by our co-host Harman Kandola from Edmonton. How are you doing, Harman? Well, I'm doing great. Back from the World Cup in Qatar, watching Team Canada uh, appear for the first time in 36 odd years. Uh, a lot of um, misconceptions about Qatar, but a lot of harsh truths and realities about uh, this World Cup being built uh, on the backs of of a lot of uh, migrant labor and and you know, on the terrible treatment that they faced and so many uh, undocumented deaths of workers uh, um, and so you know while while I was kind of uh, it was illuminating to see a lot of the misconceptions that were being spread in the West but also um, there is a reality of a lot of the harsh truths. Was it seeing all of Brampton represented in on the Canadian team? Yeah, Brampton really had this moment uh, where, you know, so many people and so many of these players had their origin in Brampton. And this Team Canada at the World Cup really reflecting the diversity of this country. I think so many Canadians uh, were willing to embrace uh, this team over other sports because of, of that. And I made this point yesterday on a prominent uh, mainstream podcast that I think Alfonso Davies, who is a Liberian refugee, uh, who spent time, you know, in a refugee camp in Ghana before, you know, migrating to Canada, moving to Edmonton, coming up uh, in Edmonton through through soccer. You know, his story and, and his embracing of his story makes what he's done in world football so uh, so impactful. And I would argue that he's, you know, the most impactful um, and popular sports figure in Canada. And, you know, and I said that in Edmonton and saying that Connor McDavid, who's our, you know, who's the best player in hockey, uh, it said, you know, who is he comparatively? Um, you know, social media followers, Alfonso Davies has 10 times what Connor does, but the Canadian perspective doesn't see beyond um, our borders. And so for what Alfonso Davies did and to see, you know, a life-size, no, sorry, like a building-size image and portrait of him in Qatar was was kind of surreal. And him embracing that story of uh, being a refugee and migrant to, to Canada and being able to kind of reach his goals and his dreams, I, I think was really special. Very Canadian stories, I agree. It was, and I agree, mixed mixed emotions. Um, I wasn't watching, I was listening most of the time from here. And just the complexity of the validation given to Qatar from um, this and putting them on a world stage and making them a seemingly equal player. And I, I think it backfired. I think they were uh, looking to host the World Cup in, in part because of economic gains, but also because of the social capital. And it really did shed a light on so many of the human rights abuses. Um, and then also it's just, I mean, so many good stories came out of it and getting to watch folks and getting to watch Brampton thrive and, and be respected and recognized. That was all awesome. All right. So we got some interesting things we're going to talk about today. We are going to do a year in review. 
of WSO. And then we're going to take a look at what's new in brewing. If you are, if you follow us on social media, this will not come as a surprise to you. There's a lot going on between India and Canada, specifically around the uh, Indo-Pacific strategy. And we are going to uh, talk about what that means for six in Canada specifically. And then we will wrap up with a fun conversation about how grateful we are for more direct flights to Chennai. Because apparently, if we were, um, if I'm following Sikh politicians, that's that's what we're doing. We're very grateful for um, for more direct flights between India and Canada, including from Toronto to Chennai. Okay, so that's sarcasm, by the way. So um, the let's do the first first up year in review. We have had a year. Um, I've said it before. I'll say it again. We are a, we are an entirely community funded volunteer board, uh, three employee organization with good intentions and group chats. And I am blown away by when we take stock of things a year later, the kind of stuff that that comes through and, and the ways that people pull through. Um, we have a list of, and we're going to put out a video again, so stay tuned on our social media. You'll see our, we're going to put out a video of all of the things we did this year. But Herman, just looking at that, um, when we, when we take stock like that of a, of a year in review, what's this, what's something that stands out to you that World Sick Organization did that you're really proud of? You know, I, I think the, the security guard situation in Toronto, which got so much mainstream coverage, um, was, was kind of a, a a great moment for the WSO and really demonstrated the power of advocacy. You know, here was um, 106 security guards who were being laid off due to Toronto's no beard policy. And there was an opportunity for politicians and decision makers and policymakers to do the right thing. They refused to do so. And so when we had to escalate this into the media, uh, it was actually refreshing to see you know, some attention come to this. I mean, so many of these types of situations go under the carpet in this country. Uh, and so many people have to suffer the indignity of being laid off from their jobs or being forced to um, take l lesser jobs because of a lack of accommodation. And in this situation, you know, the WSO was able to stand up for these security guards and make this into, you know, what became s such a huge um, media story. And within hours, the city of Toronto had to backtrack. And I remember vividly that you and I had some some uh, disagreement on how much credit. Oh, we we did. <laughs> yeah, how much credit we were willing to give uh, Mayor John Tory. And, and I, I still stand by what I said, which is, you know, he had to be shamed into doing the right thing, um, which is, you know, it shouldn't be necessary in 2022. But yet here we were. And you know, this was this was a situation where there was very clearly an accommodation available. They were asking for a higher standard than and and a higher onus than was being laid on anyone else. And these were security guards during the pandemic who worked tirelessly to keep communities safe. Um, and yet they were the ones who were having to face the brunt um, of you know misplaced policy. So for for me, I think that moment um, and and all the attention that that story got really reminded people of the work that six have done in this country during the pandemic, and the lack of accommodation and the injustice that we have to continually face. Um, you know, even with you know policymakers saying all the right things. For me, I gotta say, Bill Twenty One legal challenge against Bill Twenty One. So. 
we had um it, it's such a slow process and i am so proud of how steadfast wso has been in working against bill 21 bill 21 was the bill that was passed in quebec in canada which bans the wearing of overt religious symbols and public roles uh, so we've been working with a law firm in quebec to propose a legal challenge and have just seen it through so many layers and levels and i want to give special shout outs to our v vp quebec her who has been handling all of the media um, previously our vp quebec amrit Kaur, who handled who herself became internally displaced in canada because she had to leave quebec as a distad wearing teacher wasn't able to teach in quebec uh watching these women own their narrative uh the confidence with which they host the media in um english french and punjabi and fluently in all three languages it's I, i'm just generally i'm always in awe and i'm always honored to be in the company of such strong women did an incredible job and stay tuned because that's one that we're going to carry into the new year definitely going to keep working on that and i think it's going to be historic and it's going to be one of those things where when you tell the story of not just wso but the story of canada you're going to stop and talk about the legal challenge and the way that we brought down bill 21 because that's going to be the ending of the story uh, the restoration of human rights in canada and i'm very very proud to be a part of that story we worked on a number of other things as well so generally we are always working on articles of faith and accommodations we are always working on battling foreign interference i think we're going to talk about that a bit today as well um we ran our sick youth leadership institute as well as our sick mentorship project we continued to advocate for international students we continued to participate in one billion rising creating care packages for women in shelters across the country. We continue to run the Sick Family Helpline. And then I think this one's really cool and I don't know that we've given it much publicity, but we actually undertook a project to create stock images. And that's one that I'm really excited to see because whenever I see a sick in the media and I see some representation, I get really excited and we don't actually have a lot of stock images so when you go to create a poster or a flyer or whatever it is that you're creating for your organization you don't have the chance always to pull in someone who is visibly sick so i think that's um that's one that's going to be made publicly available soon and you're going to get to see all of the uh beautiful modeling that was done and the creation of all those sick stock images so a busy year um and another year for the wso we've been running strong and i hope next year is just as we're gonna be just as ambitious and i hope it's just as fruitful so um let's go let's take a deep dive into some of that foreign interference so we are in the midst of canada rekindling its romance with india as a part that's what as how i'm framing it these are two countries that uh, fawn over each other quite a bit and then we are positioned six and especially six in canada are put in a very uncomfortable and sometimes dangerous position between those two countries so canada recently launched uh, november 27th launched its indo-pacific strategy to support long-term growth prosperity and security for Canadians, and I'm reading this right off of the Government of Canada website, 
The central tenet of the Indo-Pacific strategy is acting in Canada's national interests while defending our values. It positions Canada as a reliable partner to the region now and into the future. It is an ambitious plan beginning with an investment of $2.3 billion over the next five years. So it is to promote peace, resilience, and security, to expand trade, investment, and supply chain resilience, investing in and connecting people, building a sustainable and green future, and having Canada as an active and engaged partner in the Indo-Pacific. Okay, so that's a lot of fun government language. Herman, what does that mean to you? When you hear Indo-Pacific strategy, what do you hear? Well, I just hear a government selling out for uh, trade. Your cynical language around values um, and, you know, kind of keeping those and spreading peace. Uh, that's absolutely, we've not seen this liberal government uh, stand up to um, the government of India. And it's pathetic because so many lesser nations um, are have found that the bluff that is, um, you know, that comes from the Indian government when it comes to, you know, uh, them reneging on trade, India needs trade. I'm, I'm, at the end of the day, they need us more than we need them. And we've seen no other nation lets themselves get bullied by the government of India like Canada does. And, you know, this goes to the, the weakness and the cowardice of our current prime minister, someone who does not seem capable of actually following through on his commitment to peace um, or, um, you know, the values of Canadians, uh, you know, and, and, and this is just a, a continued example of this. I mean, when they're out there going and doing, um, you know, sessions to speak with uh, Canadian or Indo-Canadians or Canadian sex, I mean, where, where is the, where is the, um, for people to put forward the concerns they have with the Indian government, um, you know, intentionally sick, liberal sick MPs avoid doing any type of community consultation when it comes to their relationship with the government of India because they know full well that people have deep concerns about that country's genocidal regime and this is a genocidal regime doesn't matter whether it's run by the BJP or the Congress but you know, it, the facts of their abuses of human rights their criminalizing of dissent um, is completely overt and apparent and transparent. I mean, the Prime Minister of Canada refused to go to Qatar when all of, you know, so many other heads of state were invited by the Emir because of that, the human rights violations that took place. Good, good. I'm glad he did that. I'm glad he took a stand. Um, yet he can't do the same when it comes to, to, to the government of India. And yet, so instead, what do they do? They do consultations with friendly groups, with partisan groups and with groups that they know will absolutely back them up on, you know, this Indo-Pacific strategy. It's pathetic that, you know, they will not confront or acknowledge the concerns that so many Canadian Sikhs have. And can we give a very real example here? So our Minister of Defence, Anita Anand, uh, recently tweeted, I joined members of the Indo-Canadian community at the Lakshmi Narayan Mandir in Surrey for a discussion about Canada-India relations, affordability, and our new Indo-Pacific strategy. I thank Sukh Taliwal and Randeep Sarai for bringing together this inspiring group of leaders. So there are, there, um, Anita Anand, Sikh MPs are going out into the community, are doing consultations about the Indo-Pacific strategy, about Canada-India relations. What would that, what would meaningful consultation look like 
with the Sikh community? Do you like, is this to you just a photo op? Is this insulting? Is this benign? What do you think about this? What was done here in Surrey? Well, I think the I think the sick uh, the liberal sick MPs liberal MPs understand what the concerns are by the sick Canadian community. You know the interference is well documented by the government of India. Ultimately, if they are are truly going to stay, uh, uh, you know, commit to what they've put in the Indo uh, Indo Pacific strategy, well, why are they not actually making efforts to push back on foreign interference? Why are they not making overt? gestures to say that you know we understand the the foreign interference acknowledge it would be the first step renege on the uh, intelligence sharing agreement that was signed when trudeau was in india um and reset the relationship on a ground of human of, of human rights uh and concern and then we can have discussions about trade but i think until you reset the relationship and this community has made their made those concerns uh well known you know we saw that example Earlier this year, when you know there was uh, the Sikh community was on Parliament Hill in Ottawa for a rally to commemorate um, you know 1984 Sikh genocide, and you know you had a false tip sent to law enforcement, wherein you know the two of the organizers of the rally were detained. I mean, ultimately they were released without charge, and it was and the officers involved understood this was a hoax. I mean, it's not a shock to us because we've often been labeled as extremists or terrorists by the Indian government. Um, India has consistently pressured Canada to silence Sikh voices who are advocating for Khalistan or criticizing India's human rights records. Uh, and I think what consultation would have looked like is they would have heard that exact thing and they would have heard people saying that we need to ensure that Sikhs in Canada are free to express their beliefs, free from that foreign interference of India. I agree with you completely. I'm going to share some stats because I was curious. I'm like, what what are we talking about? What's on the line when we are like, what? Why would Canada have to play nice with India? Uh, Two-way merchandise trade between Canada and India. So this is from a Government of Canada website. Two-way merchandise trade between Canada and India was $10.1 billion in 2019. However, due primarily to COVID-19, two-way uh, trade decreased to $8.7 billion in 2020. So the bad number, the lesser number, is $8.7 billion. And that, to me is exactly why we're not going to get that meaningful consultation. It is not a surprise to anyone who's listening what Six would say if we were asked about the strategy. And there is a reason that we are not going to be a part of these conversations and these photo ops. And, and Anita Nanda is not going to say, well, I met with Harmon and Jaspreet that uh, Ontario calls to the bar and thank you for talking about Indo-Canadian relations. That tweet is never going to happen because of those billions of dollars. Um, we have there when you look at the actual strategy, um, it's there's there's so much um, dog whistling and like there's so much of the language that's that's ridiculous. But the first prong of the strategy is promoting peace, resilience and security. And that in and interestingly enough, promoting peace means putting more into a naval presence and more money into the Canadian armed forces and more participation in regional military exercises. So I don't know that you can pull the wool over my eyes and and say that adding 492.9 million dollars into military strategies is peace. Um, and then when we talk about security, it says 47.4 million to launch a new multi-department initiative to help develop cybersecurity capacity and select regional partners. They, when I read that, I can't help but think, 
whose peace and whose security. If you are working with India to develop cybersecurity capacity, and our lived experience of six in Canada is that we experience foreign interference through harassment online and the way that we saw um, puppet accounts on Twitter being used to harass Six, the way World Sick Organization tweets have been shut down for having a picture of Jaswant Kalara, the strategic use of the UAPA. Like there's so many different ways in which we have been the victims of foreign interference through those channels. It's kind of laughable to say Canada is now going to give more money to help develop those initiatives and to create more security. What I haven't seen is any demand for accountability from India about these things. What are Why are you targeting Canadians? I also think what gets lost in this is the idea that racialized bodies are Canadians and we are, um, we're seen as the, somehow we're still Still more Indian than we are Canadian. One of the stats we've been sharing is with the new census data that came out, there are over 700,000 Sikhs in Canada, and we are now 2.1% of the population in Canada. We are 2% of the population in India. Proportionally speaking, we are a bigger percentage of Canada than we are of India. So when you look at a country that has a responsibility to innovate for six to um so when we're talking about innovation like whose job is it to put forward money to create a mask that covers a beard i would say the country that has the biggest proportion of six they're pr proportionately that money and that should go towards innovation for those people um so that would make it squarely a canadian responsibility and whose responsibility would it be to put their national resources into the protection of six we now have an argument to say that should more so be the canadian government than the indian government i don't see a world in which we can compete with eight to ten billion dollars. Baki Galandian Galan, I think Canada is very clearly showing us who we are, who they are. And then what does that translate into? So there you can we can sit here and we can complain and there can be rhetoric, but there are concrete examples. I listed some of them already. Concrete examples of when Canada and India get closer together without any um, protection for six. Six are directly hurt. We've seen Punjab police come. We have have visas and come to Canada. Notorious members of Punjab police where six died at their hands. We've seen a radio station in the name of Khalistan being opened in Toronto um, that was opened by the Indian government. We've seen newspaper domains that sounded like Canadian newspapers that were bought with uh by folks in india we've seen an editor of a newspaper not being given citizenship to canada because he was here influencing people on behalf of the indian government we have every time we find an example world Circle organization will put it out there um and there just seems to be zero accountability from the canadian government zero ask for accountability from the indian government and i mean i at this point i'm i'm a little disheartened with how much um, just grandeur this whole thing is being unveiled as a really good thing. And no one is naming, well, almost no one is naming that it's going to be uh, a scary time for six. What's happening with flights from India to Canada? So we recently saw in the news that there was an increase in direct flights from 
between India and Canada. This is something we've been rooting for for a really long time. And we saw that increase and we saw a number of members of parliament be a part of that and sick members of parliament be a part of the sharing that news. Um, and there was a number of places and cities that were part of those new flights. Namely, there was uh, Mumbai, there's Chennai, um, and the noticeably absent was an increase in flights between India and Canada and cities like, I don't know, Toronto and Amritsar. I've been to the Amritsar airport. It's the one that's closest to my house. It's one that would make the most sense for me to fly into. I remember there was a direct flight for a while. I remember how much of a relief it was. Currently, someone like me who gets on at Pearson is going to Delhi. And then I usually spend the night there and I have to wait for a morning flight to Amritsar. Or you can get on the road and take a taxi or a bus all of which is a nightmare. So there, uh, we called attention to this notable exclusion of Punjab from the expanded India-Canada flight. And it's just another way this and not issuing visas on time, other small digs at us from the Indian government. It's a way of them saying that they see the activity of six and they don't approve of it and they continue to have this reach and this interference into our lives. You can check out the press release we did for that on our website and you can always check out our press releases are always also released on all of our social media platforms. We are at WorldSickOrg. We are collecting our year-end donations. If you are not already a This One Club member, please consider joining and please have a safe and a happy new year and we will see you in the new year with our January podcast. Until we meet again, bye, Vigitakasa, bye, Vigitakasa.